What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondewald, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have Shauna Potter. Shauna is the vocalist of the band War on Women, author of Making Spaces Safer, a guide to giving harassment the boot wherever you work, play, and gather, and activists. This was a really great conversation where we talked about how she got inspired to start playing music, how fighting harassment and making spaces safer is such a basic human need, her love of cross-stitching, and the best way to support a band really just being Venmoing them wine money. It was a lot of fun, and I'm very grateful she came on the show. This was recorded a few weeks ago before what happened to George Floyd and the protests that followed. Because of that, we don't talk about everything going on, but I know Shauna is currently offering a free 30-minute coaching for white people who want to become better allies to black people. It will be a private, non-judgmental space with someone who's been where you are now. She has found her experiences with white ally mentors to be invaluable and hopes her years of activism, anti-racist course, learning work, and safe space and bystander intervention workshops can be of help. I'll have all her links in the show notes as well as donation links for Black Lives Matter. Give what you can. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcasts. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. So yeah, I did see that you you were recording the audiobook version of Safer Spaces, right? Making Spaces Safer. Making Spaces Safer. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, you just... We're doing some stuff with War on Women, right? Yeah. So a busy, uh, a studio-heavy uh, year so far. And kind of once all the shelter-in-place mandates hit, uh, luckily we were done gathering for the most part anyway. <laughs> uh, mixing mixing stuff can be a sole enterprise. So good good timing, I guess, for us. Yeah. So I was reading the, the book and then listening to all of your music because that's Usually how I do for the, the actual prep work. That's not just your everyday activity. Start start your day with War on Women. I don't read. So that's that's one <laughs> thing. Starting every day with War on Women is not a bad way to do it. But the, the whole reading thing, uh, I've been trying to do that and it is not working out for me. Like this whole quarantine, I should have been like reading all the stuff and I haven't done anything. No, don't don't woulda, coulda, shoulda a quarantine. <laughs> don't worry about that. Let's talk about the recording process for the audiobook because I think that's probably a little bit different than what you're normally doing, right? Yeah, it was odd. <laughs> <laughs> it was it I mean just I, I like things that are that basically serve as social experiments, right? I, I like new and tiny little challenges like that. So I, I was actually excited yeah, yeah. to to do it just for the well, this will be weird won't it aspect. So I certainly learned a little bit. I kind of, just because I've recorded enough, I assumed that the room would have to be even quieter. And, you know, <laughs> I've listened to a couple audiobooks. I've listened to plenty of terrible podcasts. And so I know what I don't like. Right. But I, I felt like the book was fresh enough for me that the time to record an audiobook version, whether anyone wanted it or not, <laughs> was as soon as possible, because it was still kind of, I could still hear it in my head the way that I was wanting it to come right. out, you know, and, and in general, the book takes on a fairly conversational tone. It's not 
super, super casual, but it, I think I think I like the word approachable. The book is approachable. Yeah. And so I thought that it would lend itself to actually having me just say the stuff. And it, um, yeah, it worked <laughs> out. That'll come out at some point this year. I've, I've left it up to my publisher, AK Press, to sort of roll it out in a way that makes sure. sense for them. Because obviously as an independent publisher, they're having a tough time with things and adjusting and, you know, they can't have people in the warehouse filling orders. So what can they do? Just like everyone, they're having to adjust. So yeah. it's, it, the ball's in their court. I always thought that with the the more like the digital age that that would be a harder thing to go with anyway. But it seems still that books are still a thing. Like they're still getting plenty of traction. They're still like the bestsellers list. There's still everything with that. So it's always interesting to me because I always think of more like a digital way where you would maybe not want to release uh, an actual paperback. Like you would want to go ahead and do just a digital release because that makes more sense. (laughs) But if you look at it, even with music, you still have vinyl records that are doing exactly crazy amount. So yeah, it it still might be like a a more of a niche market, but I'm pretty sure I don't, (laughs) I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure there's research behind the tactile nature of opening up a book and reading it and how that is is more beneficial or helps you retain the information or, or it's a more positive experience or something. So there is something to it. There is something to holding a physical item. And so, yeah, I wanted a book. I mean, I'm used to, I'm used to having to sell merch right, at the merch right. table. And so like, I got to hand you something because <laughs> you just handed me money. Um, so having an actual paper book made made sense for me. But I just thought, having it available digitally means that it would end up being more accessible. Right. Because I, I think it's that kind of like that smell, <laughs> that that feel of it that really like generates more memories for you. And I, I think that might be part of it. I know with me reading it digitally, anything that I've read digitally, it hasn't stuck with me as much as I oh, wanted yeah. to. And it's because of that that feel of the paper and Everything else that I think goes with it. You know, when you listen to music, you have kind of that emotional connection to it. It's a little different, right? It, it embeds itself in your brain in a different way than when you're reading. And so you don't necessarily have to be holding something. Yeah, I get that. But there is a there's certainly more beauty in opening up a vinyl record than opening up a little CD case. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. So uh, I've actually like, because of the the lockdown, I've been trying to clean as much as possible. Oh, good for you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's weird because I I'm usually like working all the time. So when I'm at home, all I want to do is sleep. Mm. Right. So now that it's flipped on me, it's where I'm going to be working from home from here on out and being in one place, not having to travel anywhere because mm-hmm. I usually have about an hour commute. Oh, yeah. So you're saving time. Yeah. So instead of just like sitting down and playing video games this entire time, I've had to actually like do <laughs> stuff. So I went through and I just have like you were talking about those CDs. So I have just boxes of CDs that I've collected over the years. And going through those was kind of cool because these are like bands that I'll never see again because a lot of them are like local uh, smaller yeah. ones. And uh it was it was just really weird. Like I, I had this idea of doing like a coffee table with all the um, the CD cases and the CD covers. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Even even that, like I just remember the tactile feel of opening that jewel case 
and trying to look at the uh, the liner notes and all the, the little booklet and stuff like that. Yes. And that is gone. Like, I, I think for so many people, maybe just from now on, that shared experience of you get a CD, you take it home, you, you listen to it, you open it, you read everything, and you're not distracted by a phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just listening to this one thing, an album from start to finish. Like, I feel like that experience, I had it so many times with so many different records, and it was so formative. And it's just not a part of my life anymore. And it's not a part of anyone's, really. So it's really interesting. Like, I've definitely been thinking about what can we do as a band that, one, is poor (laughs) and, like, like stretched thin. And no one in our band is a graphic designer or an artist or a photographer, you know, like... I'm always super jealous of bands that basically like have the whole they have team. A, a, a screen yeah. printer and <laughs> and a graphic designer. It's like, God damn it. Um, uh, so we don't have any of that. So what does a band like us do to still try to give some experience, but also realize that people don't want a CD? And that's been going on, obviously. This is not a new right. thought for me. Um, but people don't need a CD. I don't know if vinyl pressing plants are going to be up and operating for us to get a vinyl record out when when we want our album to yeah. be released, you know, so what else can we do? Um, so I've got some, I've got some thoughts and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Cause it's, so when you go to like a local show and I know for me, cause I, I've been doing it for a while that, that idea of buying merch is still really important. I feel like, and if they're going to put out a CD, I feel like you should buy a CD because it, it's something that you invest in, right? you, you mm-hmm. have to pay for all that. I remember growing up, like my one of my favorite things to do was make mix CDs, and I would do like the uh, the digital print from the like the laser print from the actual drive. Like I, I made sure that I bought a computer that could just burn the image right on the the disc. Whoa, fancy! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't, but it was it was something that I'd like I had a little like pride and joy for. Um, And I remember like going in and and trying to find like specific songs that maybe ended in claps and like began in claps. So it it was, it was a really like nerdy thing to do, but I loved it. Like it, that was, that was such a, a big thing for me. And that was just something where I could just look at and kind of that's, that's my mark. Right. I can't imagine investing in so much and then not being able to like sell it too because mm. you're looking at the digital stuff you're looking at streamers like Spotify and and um, Apple Music and all that stuff for anybody that's kind of like paying attention they know that they're not going to really pay the artist as much as they should yeah. right so but <laughs> to your your point earlier about the book versus the digital release you can get so many more connections possibly through a digital release so you have to kind of weigh out the the good and the bad of it, right? You have to basically decide how long can you be in a band and not make any money? How long are you okay with being in a band, working hard, touring, not making a living off of it? And the longer you're okay with doing that, the more chance you have of being able to make a living off of it. Yeah. You know, because all the because those all of a sudden success stories are statistically, like, we shouldn't even consider them. That's how rare it is, right? right? Like, we shouldn't even bother. No one should think, uh, oh, well, that could happen to me, too. 
it's it's like statistically it's not even worth mentioning yeah but it's the only stories you hear so if you can side hustle or have a good job or have you know rich parents or whatever <laughs> that that would be the golden ticket right rich parents <laughs> yeah usually those folks are making shitty music though but <laughs> yeah we're we're more we're more in the first camp of just like we're we're willing to just live off of nothing like old school artists you know yeah and when we're not anymore that's when the band will stop because <laughs> I don't really see a band called War on Women getting fucking huge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, that's that. Yeah. I don't, it could happen. We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, but yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, that's not why we're doing it. It would be really nice to, right. to have a patron, you know, it'd be really nice to have, uh, the king decide that the arts are important. And so here's my house band or whatever, you know, um, that would be cool to, to live off of what we do, but generally we cannot, Yeah. but we're not, we're not looking for fame and fortune or anything. Right. And that's certainly not why we got into yelling about women's rights, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not super profitable yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What I, what I was going to say, too, when you look at it, like the traditional A&R is not really a thing. Like when when you're looking for bands that have kind of made it bigger, they've already kind of had a fan base to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the whole idea of like what you were saying, that it's so rare that we shouldn't even really talk about it. They don't even I think the the story is kind of transitioning a little bit to where they see more independent people are are going and trying to be successful as possible before they might actually like do an actual release on a label. For sure, because people can, you can upload a song on yeah. Bandcamp and yeah. potentially get a ton of followers. But I think that that's like a different kind of hustle. Right. Which is, I, I think I'm almost just a little too old to be willing to put in the work to get online followers, you right. know? Like right. I still... I am fucked because I remember the days of indie labels getting big and having influence and then I saw them die and then, you know, but I still have this memory of like, well, if we just play really well (laughs) and write good songs then that'll be enough, you know, and it's so not true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that lie that you tell yourself, if, if my art is good enough, someone will look at it. Yeah, it has very... Very, it has something to do with it, but it it's not the um, percentage that you would want it to be. No. Yeah. How did you get into music? When did you start uh, playing songs? I mean, I was always into music. My mom tells me that I was dancing in my crib with MTV <laughs> on in the background. You know, I was born the same year as MTV. Nice. So um, it was it was there, and I was I was dancing, bopping along. I'm sure I started trying to sing along as soon as I could talk, uh, you know, vocalizing. Um, (laughs) But I always loved singing and dancing and performing. Like I would make up dances and perform them with my friends at recess. And I was always wanting to put on a show and it usually had something to do with music. I started playing guitar when I was 12. Okay. And I, I say this anytime I'm asked about it, but I think it's important to repeat is I started playing guitar. I asked for a guitar for Christmas because I saw a woman on TV playing guitar. And until I saw her play guitar, I didn't know that I could also play guitar. Right. It's not that I thought I couldn't. It's just, it, 
I just never thought about it. It just didn't even cross my mind. And then to see a woman like wearing a dress, it was Courtney Love, by the way. <laughs> so a feminine woman wearing a dress, playing guitar, like yelling uh, her heart out. Until I saw that, I didn't, I just didn't know. Right. I didn't know that I could do that too. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, yes, that's what I want to do <laughs> right now. Give me a guitar. And my mom's like, oh, okay, we'll see. I surprised her and potentially everyone else in my family when I didn't abandon it after a month. You know, I, I stuck with it. I played guitar um, ever since, played in bands ever since. Wow. Except for this band. I don't play guitar in it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it would never had maybe like clicked for you that, yeah, that's something that I'm interested in until you see that, right? Yeah. And, you know, and think about it. I'm 11, 12 years old. That's a formative time, obviously. Just think about all the lack of diversity in media that we have, right? TV shows, movies, music, podcasts, you know, yeah. everything. Um, that lack of diversity really affects young people by not showing them an example of like, by just being there, you're almost giving younger folks and sometimes older folks like permission <laughs> to do something. So I just think, representation is so important and I will always, always, always talk about it because without that, I would be nowhere near where I am today. Right. Like I don't, I don't even know what my life would be like if I hadn't seen a woman playing guitar that yeah, one day. You could have been an accountant. I, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no offense accounts. Actually, accountants save our lives. Let's be honest, sometimes. Well, right, right. <laughs> you could have been a graphic artist. You could have been... Uh... <laughs> right. Could have done something useful in a band. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> do you think that it's getting better as far as the representation that's out there now? And do you... Because I, I see when, when I'm out there, because I, I think I'm like friends with most of the people that are trying to make an impact, that are trying to give more visibility to the smaller voices that are out there. So when I see it, I, I think it, it is very much on like a, a low level, like a, a an underground level that it is getting way more visible that all these different voices and all these different sounds and all these different thoughts and opinions and viewpoints are coming out. I don't know if that's fully started to hit mainstream or what we think a mainstream is yet. And I don't know that it will. Like th there is a beauty to the internet leveling the playing field for everyone yeah. and allowing the opportunity to find artists of all types. Uh, I mean, like all disciplines, you know, but there's still gatekeepers. There's still people with more power and more money that are only going to give opportunities to marginalized people if those marginalized people have only if they happen to have a huge fan base. Right. And that can be hard to do when no one's giving you the proper attention, the same attention that other bands or artists are getting, you know, when all the good shows are going towards these dude bands or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm not super confident. I like I'm really glad that more festivals, you know, are talking about safer spaces and what they can do to make sure that audience members aren't harassed on their watch yeah. or if they are harassed that there's a, a way to report it and that they're believed and 
that security guards know how to talk to a victim of harassment without making it worse. You know, those, those are skills. Those are skills that need to be taught because we don't learn them in school, right? Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're getting more women, more people of color, more disabled folks, more gender nonconforming folks on stage. When did that that view start forming in your your mind? When was it when you're going to shows when you're younger and seeing everything around you and saying this is kind of what I want to start addressing even with my music too? What view? Just the the idea that there's not my voice isn't as heard and then there's more people around me that are the same boat. I did not really come into my political awakening until <laughs> George W. Okay. And I think that I had a pretty unique experience when I really started playing out a lot. Like my my first real band that was really playing ton shows and trying to tour and we got signed by one of those indie labels and <laughs> all of that. Um, I was living in Nashville at the time. I was in high school. And, you know, a bunch of young women in a band playing indie rock in the mid to late 90s in, in a town where people make country music and most of the other bands are dudes, we obviously got a lot of attention. Yeah. And some of that is deserved because we were good. Some of that is probably just the novelty of like, whoa, look, ladies on stage, <laughs> you know? Like we we probably would kind of hook people first with the novelty of just being there, like a dog wearing a hat or something. Right. But then we got people to stay. Like that, that was always our... Uh, point of pride that that people stuck around that there was more people at the end of the show than the beginning that's how we knew that we were doing okay and so so yeah so you know being a young like feminist in theory i was like well everyone likes my band so <laughs> i'm doing fine right right, <laughs> right right like i didn't have a great feminist analysis or i wasn't questioning it very much because i was 16 uh, you know, that's how I cut my teeth, right? And then the the next band that I had after that that toured a lot and, like, worked mm-hmm. really hard and, like, had multiple albums, um, that band, I was the only woman in that band. And, and so definitely I would just hear weird things from gotcha. the people okay. that worked at a place or the other band or, you know, I definitely felt more outnumbered. Yeah. And I bet that's when I started to be like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Why doesn't everyone think I'm amazing like they did in my last right, band? Right. You know, um, something's up. And and you know, both both of those things, like, oh my God, you're so great. Oh, this is so that's so cool. Like that side of the coin and the other one being like, whatever, lady. Like they're both wrong, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and the point is that I, I cannot escape someone seeing me as a woman or female first, and then everything else is second. Right. So no matter what their response is to me, it's colored by my identity that I cannot change, you know, or do anything about. It's just less than in our society. So by the time George W. was starting to talk about taking away reproductive rights, I was like, all right, I've had enough. What is going on? Leave us alone. We're just trying to live our life. You know, that that's when it got like when I actually started educating myself. Yeah. Doing activism, right? Doing something, not just like complaining and not just reading, but like getting out there, marching, signing stuff, starting 
a chapter of Hollaback, um, tabling, talking to people about harassment, like really, you know, forming bonds with other people in Baltimore, um, which is eventually where I wound up. Right. And seeing how, you know, feminism touches on so many other issues, you know, like there is a feminist analysis of, of any issue that you are concerned about or interested in, or you care about, there is a way to look at it through a feminist lens. And, and so, you know, just getting educated from my fellow activists and, and Baltimore, like that was, that was really important. And I've, I've continued to try to bring that into what war on women does. Yeah. When, when you first started experiencing that, was that something like, okay, this is what I was kind of meant to do, or this is, I feel way more comfortable doing being a part of this. Like this is something that now my mind is racing. I'm starting to see more stuff. You know, the experiences that I'm having is the experiences that they're having going through the whole thing. And then now I'm able to actually put words into action too. Well, it was super important for me to feel validated in my feelings of frustration around street harassment and, and other, you know, other issues, obviously. Street harassment is just kind of like my pet issue, um, <laughs> which we're all allowed to have, you know, our pet issues. But I, I don't, and I don't like to use the word crazy, but it was that common feeling of, am I fucking nuts? Why doesn't anyone else see what's going on? Why don't you hear what this stranger is yelling at me and acknowledge that this is not normal? Like, this is not okay behavior. And I, I really felt like I was going crazy. Like right. I was the the problem. I needed to hear other people's experiences to really figure out how I actually felt about this stuff and and to feel like I wasn't alone and and to just feel better about being pissed and being like, yeah, that isn't okay. Like and it's okay that I'm pissed and yeah. that's their problem and not mine, you know. I think that's a huge part of any kind of healing journey for anyone dealing with anything tough, right? Just knowing that someone else has gone through the same thing or being validated in your experience. It's, it's, it's huge. But because I felt like, oh, it's not just me. This is a real issue. This is really going on. Well, I, I got to do something about it. (laughs) Like I, like I literally at the time I could not not do something. Right. I had to. I had to. It was part of my response to experiencing it in the first place. It was a way to take back some control. And so I I I talk about that a lot when I do workshops and trainings and just talk about the idea that it's kind of a form of safety planning, actually, where you might be in a situation where you really don't have control over what someone else decides to do or say to you, right? Sure, yeah. If someone else decides you're a target, well, guess what? You're a target, you know? So so you don't have control over that. Okay, what do you, what do you have control over? Well, you have control over documenting everything that happens or you have control over starting your own Hollaback chapter <laughs> and educating everyone you see about street harassment. You know, you have control over tabling at every event ever for like four years straight <laughs> and not sleeping because you're obsessed with it. Right. And you have control over asking people to help. Yeah. And figuring out the best way to do that. Um, so eventually, 
it, there was so much coming out of me that needed a release, right? Probably a buildup of all the sexist shit I had dealt with my whole life and maybe even at the time didn't understand. Yeah. Um, in a way, like Hollaback wasn't necessarily enough. And it, it really was a simultaneous thing where I was wanting to start a Hollaback chapter and I was wanting to start War on Women. Gotcha. Okay. And like they were really happening at the same time. And I did them both for at the same time for a long time and eventually realized that because people had given war and women a chance and because we could tour around and talk to people that I, I realized I could have a bigger impact by concentrating on war and women and, and trying to make that my activism. Yeah. Cause you're, you're able to hit more spaces because you're on tour, because you're going out in places. You're not yeah. just regional within Baltimore at that point, right? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, depending on what band takes us out to open for them, I'm hitting, I'm hitting different people that wouldn't be receptive to what I was saying uh, on their own, you know, without someone forcing them to watch <laughs> Yeah. and wait for Flag to get on stage or something, you know? <laughs> um, and then in the meantime, I can be like, aren't these riffs tasty? Take this <laughs> message, take it. And then they're like, oh, I guess I guess she's right, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, it was almost like you were kind of insulated with that band in Nashville where you had like a little... Oh, it was our small little scene, yeah. Yeah, and then you also had that little bit of success, I guess, like feeling safe for a second because... People are coming out to see you. You have, It is that novelty, but I think the, the thing that you were talking about, which every band appreciates, is that if your crowd gets bigger by the end of your set, that's right. that says so much more than yes. anything else. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. but Because it, it, it sounds like you were insulated for a little bit, and then still, once once that hit, now it's like, holy shit, I need to actually do something. I've kind of like given it, space. I haven't done anything in a while and now everything's hitting me all at once. And now I need to actually do something with it. So the simultaneous hollow back and, and the war on women is almost like serendipity to be like, oh, it's go time. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I think some of it is age too. I started realizing that the world didn't revolve around me, <laughs> you know, that other people are going through similar things and that I could address that and I could help others while helping myself, right. which is like the most white feminism thing that I could say, probably <laughs> <laughs> capital W capital F. Um, but you know, but it's true. Like when you can help yourself and others at the same time, you're going to stick with it longer, right? Yeah. You're going to give more of yourself, sacrifice more. And it's better than only caring about yourself, which thankfully I got out of that by just growing up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a little maturity goes a long way, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, it's kind of one of the reasons why I started the show. I struggle with staying motivated and balancing so many other things and, and trying to have some kind of like artistic expression while doing the nine to five grind and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So this for me is, is always like a way to kind of like figure out what drives people and what, what their passions are to try and fold into mine, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I, I totally understand that feel where now I'm able to kind of 
ride the coattails, why not? Right. But also <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to get as many stories out as possible. Right. Yeah. So it's it's something I, I think is interesting. The so with the 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 scenes that you were talking about, because that this is one of the questions that I had when I was reading your book. Were there scenes or groups that were more uh readily accepting the the making safer spaces versus the ones that were just like what is this lady talking about? I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> um, it's interesting. So I've I've been doing safer space trainings for about six or seven years. Okay. Um, and I published the book Making Spaces Safer last year on AK Press. And I've trained a lot of different places. There are some spots, some groups, and 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 just so people know what I mean by space. It, it could be a bookstore. It could be a coffee right. shop. It can be a punk club. It can be a bar. It can, you know, any any place where people gather that isn't the straight up street, right? <laughs> but also isn't um, a school or workplace that's going to be caring about uh, sexual harassment laws. Right. You know, right, there's, no, there's no Title IX yeah. at the sidebar in Baltimore. So... Some places were super receptive when they knew they didn't know anything. Okay. Right? That idea of like, we don't know anything at all about this. We have no idea. You tell us. That's a really great place to be, honestly, if you're going to get trained in this stuff. Having that open mind and just like willingness to actually listen to what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, yeah, like there's a difference between not knowing anything and being not willing to listen to what I have to say. (laughs) But just being like, we don't know what we're doing. Just tell us, you know, those were obviously great trainings and workshops because they're willing to take it in and, and, you know, trust that that harassment is an experience shared by many people who just want to come to your place and relax for a couple hours. You know what I mean? Some of the toughest conversations I had were... And this isn't everyone. This is not a blanket, you know, assumption or anything. But I do remember a couple really tough conversations, and they happen in places where everyone is, how you say, woke. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. Yes. Because, huh. I, well, I won't, I won't like arm, armchair analyze, but, but I think it's because they think they know everything about right. being progressive and being radical and abolishing systems and and all this other stuff that I don't know because I didn't go to school for that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I haven't read enough books. I can't I can't read a wordy academic book from start to finish. I try, I try, and I I just can't. It's one of the things that I appreciated about your book is the fact that I could actually like not just fall understand asleep. it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's engaging enough. Like one of my favorite authors is Mary Roach, and she does nonfiction explorations into like one of them is the afterlife, one of them is death, uh, mm. like the the actual process of death and what they do with your body and all that stuff. One of them is on sex, and then uh, there's also like packing for Mars and the military sciences too. Hmm. But cool. I would. I would be bored to tears if she wasn't actually like witty and engaging and I'm actually learning stuff reading her her work. Like to your point, if it's an academic piece of work, I'm I'm not doing it. I want to, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean I just can't I don't have the discipline for it, I guess. Yeah. And, and and I realize that there, you know, and it's not a I'm not judging anyone that enjoys that work, reading it or writing it, but I think that 
you know, every now and again, there's something to be said for the idea that people can still be radical without doing a ton of homework, you know, <laughs> like, or, or that it's also an accessibility thing. Like not everyone that actually needs these messages or, or would align themselves with these messages can say that they can read those books that would have access to them, right. that it had the kind of schooling that would allow them to understand all the words in it. Like I haven't had the schooling to allow me to understand all the words <laughs> in it. Like, and I know that there's a learning curve to it and you would probably get used to it, but it just, it was so important to me. So I'm really glad you said that. It's really important to me that my book just be readable Yeah. because the, what I'm talking about making spaces safer, ma- making it so that everyone has a good time, not just the jerks that keep bothering everyone, <laughs> <laughs> but making it so that everyone has a good time. I didn't want any barriers to that. Right. I want I wanted that to be easy for people. I mean, that's why in the book it's almost not quite, but it's almost just a to-do list. It's like, okay, you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, and don't worry about that because then if that happens, you do this. Like <laughs> I wanted to cover all my bases, make it make it easy as possible because I don't want there to be any excuses or barriers to not doing it because I think everyone should be doing this stuff. For sure. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the quotes that you used was from Freud. And something struck me was it's a, a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Mm. And when when we talk about all that stuff, and then we were also talking about, you know, it's not taught in schools. But one of the other things that that struck me was how do we do it on an individual level? Like, how do we get it and ingratiate it into the culture from the ground up? Right. And that's that's what you're trying to do in teeny tiny spaces. Yeah. You know, the house shows, the the communes, whatever. Uh, you talk about the Bell Foundry. I went to a show there uh, mm. years and years and years ago. But it it was everything that was in that that quote and that description was, you know, there's wires everywhere, but who cares? Because there's all <laughs> inclusivity. Right? right. You know, you feel you still feel <laughs> safe, even though something could definitely catch on fire. Or you can just fall <laughs> off the stairs. <laughs> well, it's all important. It's all right. important, right? <laughs> That's my point. It's um, we d- we don't have any empathy in our culture for other people, and so to be able to just get away from the individualism, the 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 toxic individualism, honestly, yeah. in our American culture, and just put in little bits of empathy little teaching moments of empathy, give that to people, but in a way that's manageable, right? Right. So it's not an overwhelming message. It's like, here's how you be empathetic to someone else in this situation. And if you can kind of get comfortable with that of like, oh, okay, so if someone is distressed, I can just listen to them, actively listen, (laughs) nod my head. Oh, okay, I can do that. You know, like little bite-sized moments of empathy. Yeah. The more we can do that, then hopefully the easier it'll be to put that into every area of our lives, you know, right. not just when we're in charge of a space. Yeah. Cause I, I, as I was reading it, the the thoughts of interpersonal relationships and just like those teeny tiny moments, mm-hmm. that chapter came up too. So I was just like, Oh yeah, this is perfect. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about that stuff. I'm thinking about all the, the ways that you can just do it on a base level. And that, that <laughs> yeah, just, you can listen. Like it's okay. You don't have to actually do something. Like it's it's all right. I, well, not I, in the first second. Eventually, you do have to do right, something, right, right. But, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's a good point with uh, even just like America. 
it is the worst part about capitalism. One of the worst parts about capitalism is that you have this idea of that individualistic success and all others be damned. Yeah. And that that really builds a barrier in between everybody and that that team mentality goes away quickly. Yeah, it's so frustrating and we're we're seeing that play out so much right now. Yeah. Of how that mentality just doesn't work. And the thing is like <laughs> what I was thinking today actually is that that maybe that mentality worked for like 10 years or something <laughs> like like maybe there's a sweet spot where that made total sense for everyone to just, you know, worry about your own land. You know, and got to take care of your own land. No one else going to take care of it for you. If anything happens, you got to deal with it. Like, I get it. Like, I'm originally from Texas. Like, I get it. But we live in such a connected and global society now that the idea that we're not all in this together, whatever this is, is it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah. we we cannot be... America all by ourselves up here <laughs> on our giant hill. We are the best. Like that's, it just doesn't work that way anymore. And so, yeah, I'm obviously, obviously as someone that makes their living from performing or speaking right, in public, right. <laughs> I'm a little frustrated with all the uh, government assistance going to corporations right now and how, yeah. how little is actually going to people that, that need it. I'm I'm more frustrated than I am, uh, you know, poetic right now about <laughs> it. Um. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that's that's the the thing that I'm seeing now. Like I'm, I'm one of the other things that I I do on on the show is interview small businesses. So I, I I try to like talk to them as much as possible, and it is the worst seeing where the money is actually going versus you know where it should be going and kind of all the issues with with everything with that um it is very disheartening and it, and it it doesn't feel good to to see really just your neighbors like suffer you know there we had we did have that that mentality where you know we are the best we should be like successful off the you know pull up pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever but when it gets to a point where we're at we're we're at right now where everything is basically breaking, you know, that's hopefully that gets it to where everybody realizes that a team and like a nation is not just one person. It is mm-hmm. everybody. And that starts like the the shift, right? Um, yeah. I know it's 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 interesting depending on what company you're with. So like I, the the place that I work for, we talk about empathy a lot. We it's sales, so there's kind of like that nefarious, yeah, style oh, yeah. of it, right? It's it's uh, yeah. I I worked customer service for a bit, so I I it's just listening and validating, and oh yeah, that would be frustrating. I'm so sorry this came in yeah. blue instead of red, you know? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So you're you're hip to it, but that- yeah, good good practice for saber space training. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of while I was reading that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is just translates directly over to everything um, that I've been taught. Yeah, I even mentioned in the book, I even mentioned in the book, one of the proactive things you can do, you know, before someone complains about harassment or before you know that it really is yeah. harassment and you're like, oh, what's going on over there? One of the tactics is to kill them with kindness. Did you learn that too? Um, yeah. I learned I learned that in a retail setting where if you think, oh, is this person stealing 
our stuff, I'll just go over and be really nice to them until they leave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because everyone kind of knows what's going on, but you have the excuse of like, well, I was just asking if they like this book, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's true. It, 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 uh, so many skills. I really love hearing that. And I'll let you actually say it in a second because I'm obviously going off. But but I, I really love hearing how people use the stuff that I talk about in the book in so many different situations. Right. You know, that, that, that the, these really are basic life skills of practicing empathy, grounding someone in crisis, how to apologize. Like, this is all basic human stuff that we should have down. And that's why, you know, the book— only can get so radical because yeah. I, I really feel like this is all base level, bare minimum stuff that we should all be doing. You know, you can do more. You can go, you know, even more radical with it, but this is all like the very least that everyone should be doing. And I wanted it all in one place and uh, and I wanted to make it easy for people. Yeah, I, I just thought it was it was fascinating because all the the little tech not little. These are good tactics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just belittling everything. Um, <laughs> oh, it's <a> sexist. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Uh, patriarchy. It's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, what what I was reading, and I was like, this is the stuff. So I, I've been with Verizon for almost 10 or 11 years now. And it's the stuff that I've been learning this entire time. And it's that like connect option. It's It's like what you're talking about with, I'm so sorry. Let me validate what you're saying first. And then go into these different options, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was a really awesome way to to put, especially in the book, is that you want to give them still like a, a sense of control. Yes. And a sense of option and a sense of agency throughout everything because they just kind of lost their agency. And yeah. that was really important. And then also like translating all that stuff to a place that you may not think about. Like for me, when we're talking about a big corporation, we're talking about big corporations and they're just factories <laughs> and just like big, evil, menacing stuff sometimes. Yeah. And you don't think like about the the retail space, like what you were just talking about. The The best way right. to curb theft is to be nice. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's insane to me. Yeah. But yeah. It, th- that was just something that, that, that struck me in there. Um, I, I just really yeah, I love I just, that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I really liked it. I wanna uh kind of circle back. So you said that you were born in Texas or raised in Texas. So how mm-hmm. did you end up all the way over in Baltimore? Because I do want to kind of get a little bit of a story. I I did move around a little bit growing up. So I was I was born in Houston. My mom and I lived in LA for a bit. Uh okay. also back to Houston. Uh I went to high school in Nashville and Right after high school, my my band that I'd been in, it was kind of my only real first band, but I'd been yeah. in it for years and I made a record and toured a lot and it just fizzled out. It ended. And I <laughs> I don't know why it's striking me right now, but I'm just I'm thinking about how like heartbroken I was like, right. it, it, I didn't have the experience. Like some people like have a ton of different bands that they're in and start a bunch of projects, especially when they're just starting to play. Yeah. For and, sure. and it's like super social. Like I had like the same band for like five years Wow, yeah. <laughs> and that was my first band. And so I was like, this is my identity. 
Yeah. What what will I do? I will never ever <laughs> play music again. You know, it was like I had to figure out who I was without this band at 19. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's weird. Um, but uh until I figured it out, I had just been playing around town acoustic. Mm-hmm. Um, writing, you know, little, little songs, I'll belittle them <laughs> myself, um, writing little jams and trying stuff. And, and I played a show, I opened a show for my friend's band. And then the band that was on tour was a band called Sandwich Is. And, uh, Brooks Harlan was in that band. Okay, And cool. Brooks is the guitar player for War on Women now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They came through town and I really dug their stuff. And I was like, they were a three piece. And I was like, you guys need another guitar player. And they were like, we've talked about it. And I was like, mm-hmm, you do. Where do you live? <laughs> Baltimore. Oh, I haven't lived there yet. Okay. All right. Let's keep in touch. And I just was like, fuck it. Let's move to Baltimore. Wow. I'd never lived on the East Coast. I, I, I moved around so much that I was already kind of tired of being in one place for that long. Right. Like I was, I was in Nashville for all of high school and, and I was like, this is this, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's try something different. Let's try the East coast. Yeah. I was, uh, I was raised in a couple military families. So traveling around a little bit and I've been, so I live in the Southern part of Maryland, about an hour and a half or so from Baltimore. And when I finally like settled here and grew up, a little bit and I was like, oh yeah, this is it's kind of nice to be in one spot. Like that's that's oh all right. yeah, I've been here ever since, you know. Yeah. Like I've been <laughs> I've lived here longer than every other place I've lived combined at this point. Um yeah. and yeah, eventually. And I think that there's something that goes along with touring a lot is like, why would I move <laughs> <laughs> when I'm already carrying heavy things every night? And then sleeping on a different terrible bed, you know, or, or not a floor. even a bed. Yeah, 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 exactly. And meeting people and like, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I know, I know that before we did this interview, you you mentioned that we might talk a little bit about how this pandemic is yeah. affecting us, and and I certainly can't speak for the rest of the band, but there is something to being at home all the time, where I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. I don't. I don't need to go out. Like <laughs> when you tour that much, even though I was supposed to be on tour, you know, even though I was supposed to like, you know, we're road dogs, right? right like right. we're out all the time. Having this extra time at home, I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. I got stuff to do. <laughs> I'll keep busy. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's uh it's kind of like a forced rest. Yeah. And you know how you know how like on a really long uh, drive on tour. Uh, or a trip or whatever. If you know it's like an eight-hour drive, you're not asking, man, are we there yet? Two hours in. No. Right? Like, by hour six, you're like, okay. But if it's an hour and a half drive, you're like, oh, it's been 15 minutes. (laughs) And it's like, you know, it's all relative, right? And so... If I'm just kind of under the assumption, okay, this is the new normal, like I'll be doing this a while, even when things open back up, I'm not going to feel very comfortable getting out there in the world and no (laughs) one's going to be booking me. I'm not going to get on a plane anytime soon. If this is just my life for this year, this calendar year, 
uh, okay, let's do it. I'm, I'm in it. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling any stress of being like, trapped, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I feel very lucky to, to not feel that way. I am of course stressed about money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and have basically been busy up until this week, but for over a month, this whole time of being home, realizing we're stuck at home, okay, what do we do now? This whole time I've been researching grants, applying for grants, researching unemployment. Yeah, okay. And sure, tying up loose ends and trying to exercise every day and like whatever. But like <laughs> I have been working Yeah. Uh, because grants are hard. Grants are yeah. really hard. And I'm finally like, okay, I've applied to everything that I can. I've done the things that I, my due diligence, like, the only things I can really do now it's time. Okay. Now I can get back to working on this new record. Now I can get back yeah. to working on other projects that I meant to start over a month ago <laughs> th that are creative or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I feel like I'm a month behind everyone else's virus vacation. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. So the, the only, the only thing that, uh, that happened to me is I, I had to put my dog down. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. We um, he he ended up just collapsing one night, and then we found like a big mass in his abdomen. So, okay. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. But one of the things that you said earlier kind of resonates with this. So, one of my escapes is going to shows mm -hmm. and enjoying myself at a show, and right, you know, releasing there and and just trying to have a good time. And when you're, when you're in a safe space, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And when, when that gets compromised, which is what you see in this book a lot, is that those, those safe spaces get compromised a lot. You can't even enjoy yourself. Like you can't even go do the thing that you want to do. Yes. That, that way it just, you, you can't relax. And it's, it's something that, that struck me because I, I, like what you were talking about, where you've been busy for like a month. So have I. <laughs> I'm sure we're not alone. I'm sure there are, uh, you know, obviously everyone that is a freelancer or a 1099 er yeah. you know, teachers, parents, essential job worker. Like, like there's obviously varying levels. I'm obviously not working as hard as someone right. at the grocery store right now. Right. And I'm also not as terrified as <laughs> they are every day. There is, there is something to be said for a lot of people haven't still haven't had a break. Yeah. You know? And so this idea of like, well, let's get back to work. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah. Just let it, let it simmer for a second. Like, it's okay. Just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, with everybody, I'm sure we need a caveat of like, you know, well, saying that we don't judge anyone. That Obviously, people need to go to work and, you know, like. I mean, so I get all, it. All the things. Uh, please assume all the best intentions, and that we're joking, and we we know yeah. we know the nuances. It's hard to discuss every single nuance, right? And and also be entertaining on the podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> I will so I will say though, like I know a lot of my friends, they feel like trapped, quote unquote trapped. I don't identify with that at all. It doesn't make any sense to me, like at all. Like all you're doing is just like being at home and chilling out, like. All well, you don't, well, don't put your stuff on them, though. Yeah. Like, I, 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 it's not yeah. that it doesn't make sense. It's just that you don't identify with it. Just there you like go. me. Yeah. I don't identify with that. I, I 
I can I can I can tell though some of my friends are going. Ooh, they they've got cabin fever. They don't know what to do. Like they're just not used to this. And and I I I just feel when I think about that and I start to maybe catch myself judge them. You know, I start to <laughs> instead think about how grateful I am right. that like I usually get to be on a stage and just screaming my guts out. And, and experiencing everyone shaking your hand and telling you great job and like, you know, like really nice, cool stuff, like, like in really intense socialization. Right. Right. And so I've already been ex, uh, um, practicing the other extreme of intense lack of socialization yeah, yeah, yeah. when I'm home. So it still just feels normal for me to be at home by myself, like not doing anything. And I think I think that's what I identify with the most because I yeah. I am such a workaholic and like all I'm doing is talking to people on a daily basis because that's my job, right? And right. being able to kind of step back and like relax for a second—that's what I, I don't understand. I was like, you can do this too. Like, come come be in my shoes for a second. Let me let me try <laughs> to help you out. Yeah, um, you're bored. Take over this customer service call for <laughs> yeah, me. Exactly. Uh, no, but it, but I I hadn't really. Th- thought about it or, or hadn't really put into words the idea that for so many people going to shows like it, it is a part of people's mental health yeah you know so all of this that's going on is devastating for so many reasons and that's one of them yeah and um yeah i i just <laughs> i hadn't really thought about that and i wonder you know, is there a way to try and replicate that feeling right now? And I just, I just don't know that watching live stream events. It doesn't does hit it. the same way. Yeah. It doesn't hit yeah. the same way. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it, it's something that, that hit me during the conversations that I've been having on, on the show and not having that released like that, that's gotta be definitely affecting other people. And I don't know. Hopefully, we can get to a spot where it is a little bit safer. I know a couple of my my friends have been doing live streams and stuff like that, but it just trying to even interact with your audience because you're not even getting that audience interaction either. Mm. So if you're just like playing to your webcam, cool, I guess, but you're not able to hear the <laughs> applause, like you're not able to feed off of that energy, and especially like if you're in your punk band, like that's. Part of the whole thing. Well, I'll put it out there right now. If anybody wants to pay me 10 bucks an hour, <laughs> well, livable wage. So 15, yeah. 15 an hour, you can pay to get into a show and we'll, <laughs> we'll zoom one-on-one and I will not play guitar because I've completely <laughs> forgotten how over the last 10 years of being in war and women. That's funny. Um, then you get, we'll have the intimate show experience where I just talk about what wine I'm drinking and why I like it. <laughs> I it has it. notes of fruitiness or whatever. I used to to sell, like that was my whole jam was selling wine and liquor. And really? Yeah, yeah. Like as a distributor or like yeah. or like to customers in a store? or uh, Both for a second. Oh. Um, but I was, I was a salesman for a wine distributor 
And uh, it was a really cool job. I was way too young for it. I was like 21, 22. (laughs) Right. So I had just like- When you're that age, you're like, this is the coolest fucking job. Right. right. You love it though. You love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You should should be working in a grocery store. Like you need food. (laughs) Yeah, That's what we should be doing. But we're like, I'm going to work in a clothing store. (laughs) Nobody needs that many clothes. Right. And you don't, yeah, that's, that's where like all your money goes to is the place that you work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. uh, I worked at a frame shop when I was 16 years old. Well, I was too young for that. Like legally I was not allowed to be back in the frame shop cutting glass, (laughs) but they were like, eh, you're mature for your age. Go ahead. (laughs) And I framed everything that I cared about. Every photo, every scrap of whatever, like I framed it on the wall. I wasted so much money. (laughs) Like, I took so many things out of the frame when I moved. <laughs> yes. So how are you going to, to move all this stuff? You're, yeah, you're not gonna... I, I wasn't. I didn't, <laughs> obviously. Well, if you're interested, I'm drinking, I'm currently drinking uh, Melbeck. Yeah. Out of a box. Yes. Um, I think the brand is literally called House Wine. I like it. Because it's cheap and it yeah. tastes good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've had a few fans of the band fucking step it up <laughs> and and basically be total heroes. And they've Venmoed me wine money. Nice. And it's just the greatest gift <laughs> that I could ever receive. And I just I want to thank them now, David, Zach. Um, it's been really lovely. Because yeah, it's because I also I totally get like not everyone needs another black T-shirt, you know, like that's a really <laughs> great way to support a band is to buy their merch. But like you don't need all that. So I get that. And if you still want to help a band out, honestly, just Venmo them 10 bucks, 20 bucks. <laughs> um, also, big shout out to Missy Perlman, if she's listening, who hooked me up with some coffee. So, Yeah. I, I owe them. I owe everyone that at least. I dig it. And if anyone else is out there wanting to buy me a glass, I'll take a picture drinking it. Uh, <laughs> all that info is on my Instagram. Uh, Shauna Potter. Wow. Yeah. And you'll be able to help them pick out the frame, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I'll do consultation. I already do like online consultations for safer spaces. But if you also want to know like what mat to use and yeah. uh, which frame and. Yeah, if you want a weighted, but I was, was going to start talking. <laughs> I could get into some like, oh yeah, real thick bevel. I don't know, whatever. That's um, so funny. It's been a while since I worked there, uh, so I could try to sound smart. Yeah, but. it's the same. It's the same way that I would uh, try to describe wine now. Right, you're like, um, uh, I lost it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a very like certain set of words that you have to know, like. Nose and notes and floral. I I don't know. It's it's a lot. And when you're that age, like I said, I was 21, 22. You think it's cool. Like you you think that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're impressing uh, your dates. I'm sure. Right. Or no one. So I mean that's. (laughs) But yeah, it it was it was just funny. Um, And then I wish I had talked to you just two days ago because I just. So I've had stuff from that I got at a Comic-Con three or four years ago. And I was just like, well, I don't have anything to do. Let's go ahead and get frames for all this stuff and put it up. (laughs) And they're expensive. Like Target frames are expensive and I don't appreciate it. And that's not even custom framing. That's not even the best stuff. 
No. You know, like custom framing can be really expensive. And I've worked for small independent custom frame shops. And so I totally feel for them. And um, and I want to promote them as much as possible. But as far as money goes, like shit's tough out there. That yeah. custom framing should be reserved for things that you truly care about, that you need to keep for a long time and you want to keep it safe. You right. know, like some random poster. Yeah, I'll slap a target frame on it. But something that I care about, old photo of my grandma, a newspaper clipping. Um, you got to you got to get the best high quality acid free stuff. You need museum glass. <laughs> you need to block those UV lights, you know. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it up. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's your actually calling. Yeah, it's just you got to go back to the frames. Well, again, the point is I'm available for online consultations <laughs> regardless of the subject. I can also talk about amp repair. I can also there talk about yeah. planning your wedding. I can also talk to you about uh, working out on the road with no equipment. Uh, I can yeah. also talk to you about what else? I, I like TV a lot. I can just talk to you about TV. <laughs> so the list goes on and on. So uh, I, I read your bio on your website. And it was just like, she likes TV shows and cross-stitching. And that's all you need to know. Like that's, that's <laughs> I think my bio was longer than that. Yeah, but that, that's all I got from it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Fair. I do like cross-stitching. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm cross-stitching. Again, I was, like I said, I was so busy this first month of lockdown that I, did, I f- felt like exhausted at the end of every day. And I'm finally the last couple of weeks like, okay, let's do a cross stitch project. Let's sit on the couch and do something creative, like, and get off my phone for a minute, you know, not look at a screen. Um, So yes, I highly, highly recommend cross stitching because it is a a very small hobby. You don't need a ton of stuff, a ton of equipment, and it's inexpensive to get started. Is that how you would wind down like on the road or when you come back or anything? It, I started doing it because I wanted something to do while stuck in the van. I was tired of just scrolling Facebook (laughs) for, like I said, some of these drives are six to eight hours, you know, or longer sometimes, unfortunately, but that's a long time to be staring at a tiny screen and and because we started the band before minutes were free, probably, I don't know. I don't know what was going on 10 years ago. Um, yeah. I can't remember, but it's like data, like you were getting charged extra for data. I couldn't just yep. be watching Netflix nope. the whole time. Now I think I can, and it's totally fine. But I, I kind of had this idea, like, I can't just look at this stuff and, and stream all this stuff all day long. What else can I do? When I read, I bring magazines, but if I read anything too long, I get carsick. Okay. When I try to bring my laptop and get work done, I'm like, I'm bored. And I just stare <laughs> out the window. I stare out the window instead. And so it's like nothing works. I can't get anything done. But you know what I can do? I can do this little tiny motion with my hand. And by the end of it, I have this little thing that says Warren Women. And then I can yeah. sell it at the merch table that night. There you go. And then I kept busy and someone has a thing, a little patch for a few bucks and uh, we should get to share a moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really, really love it. And there's a really awesome thrift store in Baltimore dedicated to crafts. 
And that might sound really scary and overwhelming for a lot of people. <laughs> and it's a bit overwhelming for me because I'm certainly not interested in every single craft. It's right. like a whole culture, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I do love the idea of sustainability and like nothing going to waste and just acknowledging that like everybody has some stuff lying around their house that would just get thrown away otherwise, but it might make a perfect project for somebody yeah. else. And so being able to go into, I think it's called Scrap Be More. That sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, Scrap Be More. Just being able to go in and like look through the embroidery section and like file the kits and get the hoops and threads and like <laughs> all the stuff I need. And I have this giant bag of stuff and it's like, okay, that's $15. It's like, it's 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 everything I could ever want. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I love it. I do want to go back and like get serious for a little bit, but then... Okay. Uh, I'll have some more wine. Let's do perfect. it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I was going to ask you is with the, the making safer spaces... Making are you spaces safer? Make, I'm going to be able to get that in a... <laughs> I mean, you're sure. giving me... An opportunity to keep plugging the title, I yeah, guess. <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah. Um, Positive spin. There you go. But what I was going to ask you is that, is there an idea of like getting certified for that for venues mm. uh, in the future? Like, are you going to be able to, because I, I was, I saw some of the, the stuff on there that there's dedicated websites to like general neutral bathrooms and wheelchair accessibility and stuff like that. But have you thought about doing like a certificate for or certification for venues? Yeah. So when I started doing these trainings, it was through a, through a program of Hollaback Baltimore, right? It was like, right. we kind of created it as part of, of that, an offshoot of that. And so we were training places in Baltimore and basically would allow them to post publicly about it and our and would give them posters that say we're gotcha. a safer space and it would have our logo on it. And so certainly, if not a stamp of approval, just proof that they did go through a training. Whereas anyone, if they've gone if they haven't had a proper training, anyone can put up signage, right? Yeah. Any anyone can improve their own protocols and 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 standards and practices and and signage and and policies, whatever, right? Everyone can do that on their own. That's kind of the purpose of the book. Right. You don't necessarily need me to teach you. But if they're trained by me, they got something with a logo that made it official. So now that the book is sort of outgrown just, you know, our local chapter of Hollaback yeah. <laughs> and, and I, the author, am doing trainings and, and have been, um, you know, all over the country, I wanted to give give people something that they can post. But the thing is, I, especially when it's in another town, you know, I can't be there for every instance or if something right. goes haywire or, or, oh, the new person that started that night didn't know what was up and kind of botched a harassment complaint. And it's just really bad timing, bad luck, you know? And so I can't necessarily vouch for every space I've trained and say, well, they're perfect now and no one will ever mess up anything ever again because right. that's not reality anyway. That's yeah. not even people with the best intentions that have a refresher training three times a year. Like they're still human. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with people saying we've been trained by Shauna Potter or we read making spaces safer and we're following <laughs> the guidelines in that book. You know, like I'm down with that. But I, I can never say 
Uh, and this might not even be your question, but I, I can never say that like, all right, well, you're done. You took one training. Right. You're, you're all set. Because uh, that's just not the way it works. Every situation is different enough that you're going to have to work a little bit every time. And that means that uh, sometimes it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah. No, that, that that pretty much answers it because you can you can get certified like once, but if you're not doing <laughs> yeah. it every single time, yeah. If you're if you're not continuing to because new information always comes out, new psychological studies, all all this other stuff, which I really appreciated also in the book is is all the, the different studies that were there. There was one where it was like twenty five percent of women at festivals are harassed mm-hmm. and a third of them didn't even know who it was or so, something like that. I don't, I'm botching the, the stat. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I don't have the stat in yeah, front of but me. It, it's, I just thought it was interesting that you had all that stuff in there. Like, this is hard facts. Like, this is everything that we're talking about is, is stuff that happens. It's always, it's an evolving thing, right? So, like, with corporations, they have to continually do harassment training. Like, you don't just get it done when you're a new hire. Yeah. Right. You got to yeah. keep doing it and doing it. So, yeah, the more the more people practice and, and just talk with their coworkers about yeah. it and like, oh, this person complained about this thing that happened and this is what I did. What would you have done? You know, like the more people can talk about it and make it normal, then the easier it'll be to deal with in the moment. But, yeah, there's you got to practice a little bit. You got to. That's why every time I do a training in person. We do role play exercises like gotcha. we okay. have to actually hear. OK, so I know I'm supposed to like active listen. I know I'm supposed to say blah, blah, blah. But like, how do I actually say it? And right. and like you have to have a chance to actually get it out and, and let it be clunky and yeah. imperfect yeah. the first couple of times before it, you know, you can put it in your own voice and make it natural. And so I think that's vital that people practice with each other. So anyone that is going to read the book, practice with a friend. I dig it. Yeah. Do you approach booking shows a specific way now because of the the book and and that idea? Not because of the book, but because of that idea of safer spaces. Well, I'll tell you, I approached booking by getting a booking agent to do it for me as soon as I fucking could. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, booking shows is terrible, and I hate it, and I did it forever. And um, so that's. That's one thing that I love about War on Women. So we're lucky enough to have a booking agent. But because there's a little bit of removal, right? Like we're not talking, I'm not personally talking directly with a venue when we get the show or talking directly even with the band that's bringing us out. That, That works for us because one, we can certainly refuse a tour if we think that the band is like assholes. But it's a lot more difficult to refuse well, we'll play every every place on the tour except for this one venue. <laughs> like contractually, you can't. Like legally, right? You can't sometimes, right? So it's kind of been our philosophy, really, since the beginning. Before that was ever even a problem or consideration. It's always been our philosophy to bring our feminist message in front of people that might not hear it otherwise, that okay. might even be resistant to the messaging, that might be hostile or unwelcoming. (laughs) Yeah. And so the idea of us playing in a town or at a venue or with a band that isn't as woke as anti-flag, right? (laughs) Like, like that's not a problem for us. Like we, 
sort of look at it as taking on some of the shit that another band would get so that they don't have to. Like a band with more marginalized people in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like we've got a couple, you know, like we're all, uh, currently all the band members are white, couple women, gender nonconforming person, but like we're all presenting pretty privileged. Yeah. So let us take some of the shit. We'll pave some of the way. Yeah. yeah. Make, Make that town think a little bit. And then hopefully maybe, you know, when another band comes through, people are more ready yeah. for it in a way, you know, or or the shitheads don't show up or something, you know, like I don't want a band to have to deal with that. And we are willing to deal with potentially hostile audiences. So the 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 booking of the sh- wherever we're playing, if and if it, there's a festival with a shitty band, it's like we're gonna go and we're gonna fucking do our thing. Yeah, yeah. The other the other way that we attack it is when we advance a show. Okay. And so that's the part that the band is in charge of, right? That's the part where we say like, oh, okay, well, we need water and tea backstage <laughs> and uh, we're going to be pulling up with a van that's this big or um, so please provide parking information and oh, this, this, uh, this is my favorite beer. Please have that instead of this. And we also sneak in. Oh, and also we... We hope that your space is a safer space. Yeah. And here's what that means to us. And uh, if you have questions about that, you can ask us in advance. You can read Shauna Potter's book. You can, <laughs> you know, like here's an example of of uh, trans friendly bathroom signage. You know, so we we provide examples and we provide a, a just a request that they consider being a safe space, even if just for the night, so that the it. people that come to see us feel safe all night long. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And we're certainly not the only band doing that, um, which is cool. Um, Speedy Ortiz has been yeah. doing that for a long time. And when they toured with Against Me, Against Me was like, oh, maybe we should do that too. <laughs> and I love that story because I'm like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's like, but it's so easy not to think about it especially when you just assume, well, everyone coming to see us is going to be cool. Or a club will think, well, everyone that comes here is going to be cool. And that might be true. But but one of the great things about music is that it can bring so many different people together. And maybe yeah. not all those people are that cool. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they've come to you for that cool message, right? Yeah. And so by, by a band requesting it, and a, and an audience requesting it and a, a co-worker at the club requesting, you know, like if the requests for safer spaces are coming from all angles, it's going to be so much easier for people to just put them in place. Yeah. Uh, put those policies in place because they're going to see that the demand is is that high and that they should really just do it already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like what you said is that basic level, you know, that that's the least that you should expect out of another human being like yeah and if you if you are conscious about building your scene no matter where your scene is so say if you are from baltimore but everybody loves you in florida or (laughs) or whatever you know you keep going back and back and back now if you're the the drawing attraction at that point you have the power to influence the whole thing so if you're conscious about it that's the way that it would work to where you're able to say, this is really important to me. Now let's make it important to you guys and make sure that we're having this conversation 
Because if if you didn't see Courtney Love playing guitar on TV, you wouldn't have even known this was a thing. If those words aren't spoken, they don't even know sometimes that it's a thing that, oh yeah, other people are are feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. And I and and again, like a lot of these ideas about grounding techniques or responding to harassment in the moment in a victim-centered way, those terms might sound like a lot if you've never heard them, right? But when we explain it, when we go into it, you know, especially in my trainings, I just start to see wheels turning, like things click. It's like, oh yeah, that makes, like when you start to hear these things for real, they're so obvious. Right. And that makes them so much easier to do. Like, like it actually isn't that tough. You just kind of sometimes, I mean, I know I do. Sometimes I just need to be told what the thing is. What does it mean? What's a word for this idea that's been rattling around in my head or, you know, like, aha, okay, I can name it. And therefore, I can repeat it. I can enact yep. it. Yeah, I, I like that. What do you think is one of the the things that you've learned most about yourself when it comes to either music or the making spaces safer program? I think just knowing that you're, no one's perfect. Yeah, and that you're going to make mistakes, and that people deserve a chance to do better. I think. I think knowing that for myself is nice, you know, it, to let yourself off the hook sometime and, and not not wallow in guilt because it's a waste of energy when you could be just doing better. Right. <laughs> you know, um, right. It's like a waste of time eventually. Uh, so knowing that for myself is important. Knowing, knowing, knowing that for, you know, some of the spaces that I train, they're coming to me because they've already fucked up. Right. Right. Like, it's a response to something they did poorly. And while that's not my favorite way to come in to a spot, um, it's real. Yeah. You know, why would, you know, they, they just weren't thinking about coming to me beforehand, but now they've botched something. Uh, (laughs) Here they are. So let me help them do better versus try to shut the business down. Right. Like they actually want to do better. Let's give them a chance to do better. Yeah. Now that they know how powerful uh, they are and right. that they want to use it for good and not bad, um, let's let's let them. And and so extending that idea to people that, you know, behave badly, they won't stop if we don't, one, offer resistance, you know, say, hey, don't do that here or don't do that again or whatever, yeah. or show them a, an alternative behavior or, you know, give, again, give them a chance to do better. Yeah. It's just, it's just human to get defensive when someone says you fucked up, you know? Yeah. Cause there is that call out culture, right? There is, there is that where you're, you're trying to hold them accountable where you're saying, Hey, that's the bad thing. But if you don't follow that up with, these are the ways that you can actually address it. And these are actual items for you to not do this again. You know, that's, if you don't have that part, the call out isn't as powerful. Well, and I'll say this, that that second part of, and here's what you can do instead, or here's how you should change that or whatever. That is something that should be coming from the community or that person's close friends and family, not the victim of that bad behavior, right? The victim, the target, the survivor, how, you know, whatever, uh, however anyone identifies 
they can deal with it however they want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they're allowed to write that person off forever. They're allowed to never forgive them if they don't want to. You know, like that's up to them. It, the, they are on a journey of healing and whatever they need to do for that, that's cool. But it's on the rest of us to make sure that be ba- that bad behavior doesn't repeat. Yeah. And so in order to make sure it doesn't repeat, we need to call that person in and get something to change. Because if we write them off, uh, then they go to another town and do it. Yep. If we ignore it and never talk about it and basically give them a pass, they do it right under our noses again. So someone's getting harmed, whether it's in your community or another community. If you just completely ostracize someone, like it's someone's still going to get harmed again. So it's 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 on community members and close friends at first for sure to to protect everybody by calling someone in. Right. Yeah. I I I I very much respect a call out. I think it's one tool in a toolbox. Right. So I I do not write it off completely like some people do, but it's not the end all be all either. Gotcha. What do you think keeps you motivated to keep pursuing this as well as the music that you're doing? Because it they are very parallel. Yeah, know, the- <laughs> I know. Weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing that keeps me going to to talk about safer spaces is realizing how many people want to know about them. Like, I couldn't do this if people were like, yeah, yeah, we got it. We all read it. Yeah, it's fine. We got it. Don't worry about it. You know, like, people still... It's not, it's not that safer space tactics are hard. It's that humans want validation, right? right? And so even someone that's read my book beginning to end and put, done all the things and they have an incident of harassment come up, like they still might want to check in with me and be like, okay, this is what we did. Was that right? <laughs> you know? And that's great. That's great. That's great for me. And, and and hopefully it's great for them. But like, it's, it's so natural to be like, okay, did I do it? <laughs> so sometimes I feel like part of what I'm doing in a training is just validating. Like, yeah, you got it. You're, yeah, you're already yeah. doing the right thing. Like so many places I train, they're already doing great stuff. They just want to make sure it fits in with the whole picture and like, okay, where are the gaps? What else could we be doing? So, yeah. So just knowing that so many people out there are willing to learn about this stuff that want to know more, that want to practice, like it makes it easy. I'm like, well, let me, I'll tell you, I'll like, I I have a thing that I'm an expert at, which (laughs) is not something I ever would have guessed 10 years ago, but I'm an expert at something. So let me, I should just tell you, let me help you. That's why I wrote the book, because I knew I couldn't be in a thousand places at once. Yeah. So, okay, well, at least everyone could read a book if they don't want to fly me to their town and yeah. train their little punk bar, you know? So, yeah. So so doing that, doing the band, uh, I don't know. I just really, really love the music that we're making. I love these songs. I love performing these songs. I love pissing people off. <laughs> I love getting my frustrations out. I love getting my anger yeah. out. Having a healthy outlet for that, I think is good for my mental health. It it's it's so humbling to to have people come up to you after a show and say, you know, that they were sexually assaulted and our song got them our song say it got them through that. 
or that they're gay and they're coming out to me, that I'm the person they're coming out to because they knew that they could trust me because I'm on stage singing about gay and trans rights. Like that stuff is mind blowing and I don't take it lightly. So the idea that I can be of service, that's how I feel. Like I just want to be of service. Like, okay, well, here's what I got. I can tell you about safer spaces or I can yell at you about safer spaces. <laughs> like, like whatever, pick your poison. I'm here for you. <laughs> that might be the, the best thing that I've heard. I can either tell you about them or I can yell at your face about them. Which one and would hey, you like? Your, your choice. And, and which one would you like? That's right. Because I'm leaving <laughs> the power with them. I'm giving them the choice to decide for themselves. That's great. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good ending Point for the the show. Uh, I want to say again, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. 